Welcome to the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, Season 2, Episode 5. My name is Michael Bond, and I will be one of your hosts today. I am sitting here with pastors Mel Massingale. Hello there. Kendall Kersey. Hey, hey. And Todd Stanley. Hey, hey, hey. I just wanted to try something different. That's that's so offensive to me as (laughs) an overweight person. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's hurtful. Yeah. Um, Before we get in, just real quick, uh, rate this podcast, review it. Five-star rating on all the things, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we're everywhere. Uh, Also go to summitpodcast.church forward slash subscribe. This is where you can find all of the podcasts that are distributed here at Summit Church. And if you subscribe on summitpodcast.church, you will receive email notifications every time there is new content released. Today, we are going to talk about church online, and specifically, we're going to ask whether or not all churches should even be doing it. Um, Are there right and wrong ways to do it? Uh, When does church online become worth the resources it takes to create it? Um, Also, we'll discuss uh, some more questions in addition to these, but first, let's get started with this week in church leadership. There's the ticker. <laughs> <laughs> and ping. <laughs> That's great uh, intro music for the Bobby Knight problem. So uh, <laughs> some of you might have be some of you might be familiar with a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. The Bobby Knight problem comes from episode nine. Uh, so I'm just going to summarize it real quick and then we can discuss it and discuss whether or not this is really like a fair evaluation of big churches as a whole, of pastors of big churches, etc. So the Bobby Knight problem, according to episode nine of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, is when an organization becomes so identified with its leader that the organization begins to insulate the leader from accountability. Uh, when a person becomes so influential that even suggesting accountability for his actions uh, causes you to become blacklisted. So the idea here being that Bobby Knight was such a legendary basketball coach that uh, if someone who played for him went to play for a different school and maybe said, hey, he's not a great coach because of X, Y, and Z, that would get you blacklisted. Um, mm-hmm. And the suggestion is that some of the same things happen inside of churches. So we'll just start with those two things. Uh what are the dangers of an organization beginning to identify itself with its leader? And how do you prevent such a thing from happening? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. You can lead off if you'd like. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, I think the way that you prevent it is that you have to have real accountability in place. Uh, that may be easier said than done. And I don't know that I have a lot of answers as to how that happens. Uh, Cause leaders can certainly insulate themselves from accountability if they want to. Uh, and so it requires some humility on the part of a leader to start with, uh, which I think honestly, that's something that in the discovery phase needs to be found out. I think part of the issue whether we're talking about Mars Hill or whether we're talking about other, you know, issues where pastors have had moral failures and that kind of thing. I mean, you're never going to completely eliminate it, but I think you greatly reduce it if you have a really robust interview process in the very beginning. And you, I mean, that you, I mean, really ask hard questions about character and require some transparency on the part of that candidate from the outset. Yeah, I think uh, one of the best ways to prevent that from happening is to not build. You said not to build the organization Mm -hmm. around one person. And I think that uh, what you see a lot in um, in the pop in pop culture of church, right, is that uh, the any particular church, whatever that might be uh, famous on Instagram or famous on YouTube or whatever really is built around a personality yeah. mm-hmm. and is built around a person. And even in, when you listen to the Mars Hill podcast, it talks about that built around that person. And the reason why is because everything is filtered through that one person, mm-hmm. every sermon, every teaching mm-hmm. point, every song, um, you know, is filtered through that one particular person. And if that person was gone, everything would fall. Everything Mm -hmm. would fail because it's all built on their ideas, their creativity, their charisma. And so I think like setting up accountability is a part of it. And it just continues into this realm of making sure that one person isn't just the face, 
that the pastor's face isn't just plastered all over everything and that his sound bites aren't just plastered all over everything and that he's not the brand, right? Like right. the pastor is not the brand. And I think that's, uh, that's something we've seen a lot come to the surface as uh, churches have used social media or gone online is that this pastor is our brand. Mm-hmm. He is who we are. And so then you built this whole foundation around that one person. And so that's why they're above accountability is because if they fall, everything crumbles. Yeah. And I've, I've been part of uh, organizations that uh, the pastor had more, a moral failure. And it was in, in that specific situation, there was nobody who could call him to accountability um, because he had built his board that way. His board consisted of his family and um, one of the guys that was on staff and the guy that was on staff was being paid well. And you know what I mean? And so it's like they all had a vested interest in maintaining the fact that the emperor had beautiful clothes, right? Like uh, they all were complicit with that. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, I really don't think there's, if, if a pastor is not willing to guard his heart and discipline his own heart, there's not a, there's not an easy way for a church to, <clears throat> to keep that from happening, uh, to keep a, this power struggle to this, all this stuff, it's going to happen one way or the other. And it might happen because people see that going on with the pastor and he's starting to enjoy the notoriety. It's he's starting to, his brand is becoming bigger than the churches. Yeah. And there's some people that might push back and they're driven out for whatever reason they leave or they're castigated or whatever. Um, but I don't know that there's a way externally to control that, to keep that from happening. If you've got a strong leader who is set on it, whether their motivation is right or wrong. Um, and, and this is the dangerous thing about, about leadership is it can become intoxicating and we can love the leadership and we can love the power. And that's just where we have to be really, really careful. So even like you were talking about, uh, Kendall was saying, you know, having your image plastered everywhere. And even with our social media here at summit, I'm like, Hey, I don't want my stuff. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm, you're never going to see me quote myself. <laughs> Right. That just feels. Thank you for that. By the way, like I'm not going to repost a picture of myself preaching, like with my arms out, and then a quote. (laughs) I'm not going to do it, and it's okay. Some people do that, but I'm not uh, because I need to guard my own heart. You know, Um, but when I first came, the board they were wanting like, hey, let's let's put billboards up with your picture, you and Kim, and we can announce new pastors. And I was like, nah, nah, we're not doing that. Like. I never want people to know who I am, but not the church. I always want I, I always want to serve the church and serve the vision of the church because the church is the bride of Christ. Uh, I'm just the steward of the bride of Christ. So I think it really does come back to a pastor's heart. Um, mm-hmm. And we can try to put in structures and try to put in accountability. But man, if our hearts are wicked, then there's not very much we can do about that. Yeah, I like the fact that you said that leadership becomes intoxicating because uh, in this particular podcast, I mean, I think the first or second episode of the Mar- the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, you hear uh, Mark Driscoll using the quote of uh, the body stacked behind the bus, right? Uh-huh. Like either yep. get on the bus or get run over. Right. And by the way, uh, we've also thrown people off the bus and we run mm-hmm. them over too. And there's a whole body, <laughs> there's a whole body yeah, yeah. pile behind the pile bus. About, yeah. So I think like even in that case, like he's using intimidation mm-hmm. to keep his leadership uh, and to keep everything underneath him and to keep um, to be above accountability is because he's saying like, well, you're just going to get run over anyways. So who cares? Like, and that's, that's the matter of the heart. And you know, that even goes into why they're talking about Bobby Knight because Bobby Knight used intimidation to say, shut your mouth. (laughs) But this is the thing too. Good leaders are going to have some ego. Like all of us do. All of us have some ego, but when our ego is bigger than our heart, then that's where the problem is. Yeah. And, um, and I think when we start thinking, well, I don't need accountability or I'm too big for this or that's where the problem is. And you were going to say something, Todd? Well, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, um, we talk about the issues with the leader, but we have to recognize that there are mm-hmm. issues within the organization as well. There yeah. wasn't anybody who was willing to call them to account. Yeah. And when we allow ourselves to be governed by fear rather than governed by what is right and what is righteous, then then that I mean that's a a breeding ground for those kinds of things to occur. And so, you know, it for for those of us who are not in the senior positions, 
it's important for us to to recognize that man, you know, I may have to confront some things that I don't want to. I may have to confront some things that you know that that may make my life you know really hard right now, mm-hmm. but it's what's best for this body and for this, you know. And so there are those kinds of things that we have to we have to wrestle with as well because it's not just, oh, well, that was a bad leader. It's like, well, no, there was an organization that allowed that bad leader to continue to do what they were doing. Yeah. Well, and, and you kind of reference this in your question. I don't think it's just big churches. I think a pastor of a church of 50 can be a Bobby Knight. Absolutely. And, um, because it's not about the size of the organization as much as it is the, um, the attitude of the leader and, you know, what's going on in the structure below them as well, like you were saying. Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is something, um, and we've talked about this as a staff even, like the Mars Hill podcast. I haven't listened to the last one or two just because I've started going, oh, I, I, I want to guard my heart with this, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, but it's easy for us to look at, you know, stories of pastors having moral failures and going, well, I would never do that. No, yeah. I can't believe. And But when we look at them as cautionary tales, it makes it, it makes it better for us. It's a learning opportunity for our own hearts. Um, and so that was part of my th- thing with this is my hope is that people would not look and go, well, I can't believe how horrible a leader Mark Driscoll is. But my hope is they could look at that and go, well, I could see myself doing that if I'm not yeah. careful. If, if yeah. I'm not careful, I'm going to put myself in that position. So what do I need to do to avoid doing that and becoming that? And Yeah. You know, I was thinking, I mean, you know, from a scriptural context right you look at Saul Saul was by all accounts right the right candidate for the job good looking good yeah, yeah. Um, he was a head of t- he was a <laughs> head and shoulders above you know exactly he was tall he was handsome yeah. he was the quarterback of the football team right I mean I think, like I think so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so, no not completely uh no like he by all accounts, he's he's the right candidate, uh-huh. and and really governed well, did well as a king for a long time. Yep. But there was something that shifted. There was pride that that rose up, and he said, you know, oh, I can do this thing. You know, this this priestly duty they wasn't supposed to do. Well, no, I'm the king. I can do that. Uh-huh. And so part of the part of the issue is that as leaders, we have to recognize that we we have to keep our hearts submitted to Christ. Uh, I think Mel hit the nail on the head there. It's like we have to recognize that, but for the grace of God, that's me, mm-hmm. right? I am, and so we we can't look at these kinds of stories and and just shake our head in disgust. We have to look at these kinds of stories and go, Lord, search my heart. Yeah. Examine, you know, see if there be any wicked way in me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because if 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 that's not what we take away from these things, then then we're walking away with more pride and arrogance than we had when we started. I think mm-hmm. well, one of the, one of the common threads I think we see among pastors who have moral failures, um, whether they're big church or small church, or whatever it is, one of the common threads is at some point they had a different set of standards for their own life than they do did people that they were, that they were leading, whether yeah. it was their staff or whoever, they began to say, well, you need to do this, but it's okay for me mm-hmm. to do something different. You know, yeah. well, you can't ride in a car with a woman who's not your wife, but I can go on trips and we'll be in separate rooms, but I'm morally, I'm impervious to this. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that's where the danger is. That's the pride. That's the, and so I think we have to understand, I tell leaders all the time, the higher you go in leadership, the more accountability you need. Because I think we think the higher go in leadership, the less accountability. And it's like, nope, it's the opposite, yeah. man. Yeah. The higher you go, the more accountability you need for your life. I was listening to John Tyson um, a little earlier today, actually, and he was talking, um, he's talking about confrontation in our spiritual lives, like that spiritual formation is about confrontation. It's about yeah. confronting the pieces of our hearts that aren't like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that he said was that uh, if the thing that you're trying to attain, if the goal that you have, if either you have to sin to get it, or if you would sin if you did not get it, then it's an idol. Hmm. And... Yep. Uh, 
you know, and so I think as, as church leaders, we have to ask ourselves that question as well. Mm-hmm. If the things that I want for my church, if I'm willing to sin to get them, yep. mm-hmm. or if I will sin if I don't get them, then it's not Jesus I'm chasing after, it's mm-hmm. something else. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's yep. really good. So I believe I am sitting in front of three very competent defenders of, let's say, healthy big church. So what I'm going to do now is take (laughs) aim at big church and see what you do with it. Um, So let's say that most American evangelical churches want to be a movement. They they want to be a, they want to be bursting at the seams and reaching the lost. They want to be a movement. The thing that's standing in their way most of the time is maybe poor leadership and resources, something like that. Okay, so let's just assume that most American evangelical churches want to be a movement. Now let's assume that uh, that desire to be a movement functions as a bug light for unhealthy leaders. Um, Let's say uh, leaders who maybe are seeking to glorify themselves. It doesn't mean by necessity a church that is a movement is led by that type of leader, but that it attracts those types of leaders. Okay. Okay, So we have those two assumptions in place. Now let's say that someone like a Bobby Knight or a Mark Driscoll has a particular characteristic about themselves that acts like fuel, like propane for that movement. Okay. Then the organization begins to exaggerate that characteristic. So with someone like a Bobby Knight, it's the ferocity in his coaching. Okay it makes him a legend. And so then it's like, oh, well, I got to be more ferocious because I need to yeah. continue building this fire. Um, are there problems with any of those premises that I laid out? And if those are good premises, how do you guard against that incentive structure? Um, I mean, you might have already addressed this in some of your previous responses, but that's an incentive structure for bad leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's particularly espoused to big church it is possible that small churches can have the bad leader in mm-hmm. place, but the most most of the time, the bad leader is going to want to be a part of the big church if he can be. So what do we do with all of that, that sort of perverse law of attraction? I think that it was, I mean, you said it, I think it, it was answered within the uh, conversation just a while ago is that I think Todd said it, it begins and ends with accountability. Like if you attract those leaders, um, that like you, you can't really stop that, right? Like you can't stop whether you attract them or not, or whether they come in and try to be leaders, but you can, however, put things in place that hold others accountable, Mm -hmm. um, and points out things that are, you know, that, Hey, maybe we should work on this flaw here or this character issue here, or why don't we take a look at this or, Hey, you know, this way you handle the situation. Maybe we, there, maybe there's a different way and let's talk through that. And so, um, I think it's just, it really rests in accountability. Like you can't stop attracting those people, but you can kind of filter them, vet them essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should one of those limitations be the size of our churches? No. Why? Because that just because there are a lot of people gathering does not necessitate that there will be bad leaders there. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's like, well, it's just a false dichotomy. And so, why would you, why would you want to limit the number of people that are there when you when it's way more effective to just vet the kind of leaders that you have in place? Well, I'm a believer in. Um I mean, not to get political with this, but uh, like I'm a believer in the free market system that people like we don't have um, annual votes on my leadership as a pastor of our church, but we don't need an annual vote. If somebody doesn't like me, doesn't agree with my leadership, they're leaving, right? They're going to stop giving, they're going to stop attending and they get a vote, you know, essentially. Um, And so I'm a firm believer that if you've got unhealthy leaders in place um, at some point, the organization will shrink back to their leadership. Um, So their, their charisma and their gifting might promote their organization for a while where they essentially become, you know, the event organizers, they're great preachers, they're great worship leaders and people will show up for that. But eventually the organization will shrink back to the, the, the limit of their character, wherever their, their character ceiling is, Mm -hmm. that's where the organization will shrink back to at some point. Yeah, and that's where we see the the very ferocity that makes a Bobby Knight yeah. who he is also becomes his downfall. Well, and, yeah, it just ends up exhausting all the oxygen. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, okay, well, it was a, you know, it was a bright light for a while. You know, it was huge. It did good things or whatever it is. And so I think again, you look at any pastor who's had a moral failure, 
And they've probably done some really good things at some point um, because none of us are all evil or all good. So, yeah. Well, they even mentioned that in the podcast about like, especially they, they highlight it in this particular episode of that the success or mm-hmm. the ends justify the means right. essentially. But at some point, yeah, that's going to run out. Like mm-hmm. at some point that gets tiring. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, at some point that doesn't justify any longer. And like you said, what your greatest asset is or greatest characteristic in quotes um, really becomes your downfall at that point mm-hmm. if it's unhealthy. And so, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah. So one of the things towards the end of that episode, and this leads us into our discussion of church online, uh, one of the issues pointed out um, in that particular uh, podcast was the fact of, um, well, the idea, let's say, of church online providing a mediated connection that promotes an unhealthy isolation. And so leading into our our topic for the day, uh, should all churches do church online? And well, do you think that church online um, is providing a mediated connection that that promotes unhealthy isolation among the body of Christ? I think to some degree it does. Yeah. It depends on how, how well you do church online. Like there's some churches who have online pastors who specifically uh, talk to and shepherd the people who are watching or who are viewing online. Um, so I think it just depends on what your structure is for that. Yeah. And look, I, I want to acknowledge that there, there is a layer of separation watching online that is, that is different than being in the room. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that, that God can't meet with someone who's watching online. I would also want to acknowledge that it is possible. We, we all know this historically. Like if you've been in church in any period for any length of time, you know that it's possible to come in on a weekend, sneak in kind of late for the service, go sit in the corner, be through the service, get up, you know, before anyone has a chance to engage you and get out of the room. And people can isolate themselves whether they watch online or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that we throw out church online because we feel like, oh, well, people can isolate themselves if they do that because people can isolate themselves in a room full of people, right? The The issue is that we have to engage people in whatever medium it is. We have to make sure that like we're noticing those people who, you know, who are alone. Pastor Mel actually every week, like, t- you know, in our team meeting talks about like an alone person in our meeting is an emergency, right? That, that we're supposed to notice those things. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to keep our eyes open for those things that what we're trying to do is engage people in relationship with, with Jesus. And that, but that starts in re- relationship with us, yeah. you know? And so whether it's in person or whether it's online, we have to make a concerted effort to engage with people, to meet them where they are, to know what's going on in their lives so that we can bring the gospel to bear on, on their life. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Kendall. Well, I mean, so there's two questions that you asked essentially, like, should we be doing church online? Mm-hmm. And you asked, is it separating? Like, is there does a, it promote a, separation? Yeah, does yeah. it promote separation? And uh, I agree with what you said, Todd, as far as the people can isolate regardless. Um, uh, to the question of should everybody do it though? Like personally, I don't think that every church should start streaming or should stream. I think we saw this explosion happen. Um, I don't think we did see this explosion happen, uh, during the pandemic when everybody was shut down, everybody was scrambling. How do we get our church online Mm -hmm. and right this second? Mm -hmm. And, um, that, that solved an issue that solved a problem in the short term, but then many churches who should not be streaming are now still streaming for one, two viewers. And it's not even about the viewers that we can get into that later. But I think just the, the, oh, well, we were streaming during the pandemic. So we have to keep streaming now, I think is a terrible, terrible reason (laughs) to be streaming and creates more problems and then perpetuates the issue of isolation because that those particular churches, many particular churches are not prepared to minister to those who are on the other side of the screen. Yeah. So, I mean, we, even at summit, like we have, we have to try uh, every weekend. We try every weekend to connect with people who are online mm-hmm. by having a team of people who are chatting online, who are praying with people online yeah. and not every church has those resources. And if you don't have those resources, then 
you're you're perpetuating the problem of isolation or of a mediated experience essentially with the pastor. So, mm-hmm. well, and um, I've, <clears throat> online is just a tool, and there are a myriad of ways you can use tools. Yeah. You know, you can use ha- a hammer the prescribed way to drive a nail. Um, you can also use a hammer for lots of different things. Um, and so that's what we see with online, in my opinion. Um, it is a tool. And I think people uh, sometimes are, are using it the wrong way or misusing it at times. I think there are some right and wrong ways to use it. Um, you know, and there are some people very publicly saying that churches are online and they also have an in-person presence. Like that's the direction we're going in, that sky is falling for in-person church. And I don't think that's the case at all. And yeah. I think if that's the way you're using online, um, that's fine for you as a strategy. I don't think that's right. One of the ways things we do is we use it as an, as a front door for us that, Hey, we want people to watch online, but that is not an, that's not the end of it. We want you to watch online so that maybe you'll be in person with us because that's where community happens. That's where life happens. You know, like Todd was saying. Mm -hmm. And so we've heard a number of stories and I talk to people all the time that are like, man, I've been inviting my, my husband to come to church, but he won't. And I'll say, Hey, why don't you watch online on a Saturday night sometime with him? Just say, Hey, watch online Mm -hmm. because it's non threatening. It's, Mm -hmm. um, it's much easier to watch online than it is to walk through the door on a Sunday morning. Um, and that way they get an idea and they go, Oh, that's not what I expected it to be. So for us, we look at it as a, as a front door. This is an opportunity for to, to break down some barriers for people to get an idea about who we are. Um, it also gives them an opportunity to, uh, if people watch and they're like, no, thank you. Like, well, they're not going to try our church out then. And that's okay because if they want pipe organs and if they want liturgy, if they want those kind of things, that's all great, but that's not us. So it's going to help us retain the right people, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. the people that already self-identify with us. Um, and so to Kendall's point about people maybe not uh, choosing not to stream, I think that's wise because I talked to a church um, a few years ago, and Todd was with me, and this was a church that was struggling. And they invested a great deal of money on a new LED sign, but the church was dying and they felt like the solution was, let's put a sign out front. Right. That's that's the magic bullet that we need. And I told them, I said, that's a bad strategy because all it's going to do, until you fix what's going on in the building, all it's going to do is promote your church. And and I said this, I probably shouldn't have, but it, I said, it's all it's doing is telling people, come see how bad we are. <laughs> and and that's that's what that's what streaming our services are sometimes. Because <clears throat> yeah. uh, yeah. our, our quality is bad, the angles are bad. everything that we're doing, it's like, well, we wouldn't do it this way, but you know, Mm -hmm. and so it's like, Hey, come watch how, how we struggle. And it's like, is that really what we want to do? Like, uh, and so I think small churches have lots of advantages over big churches, but what they do when they try to stream, just like a bigger church does is they're highlighting their disadvantages. They're, they're highlighting what they can't compete with a big church on. And I say compete, but you guys know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause it, it, de-emphasizes relationship. It de-emphasizes inf- intimacy. It de-emphasizes some of the things that smaller churches thrive at. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, to go, like, to go a little old school, like not every church thought that they should have a television ministry. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Why do we all of a sudden assume that every church should have an online ministry? Yeah. You know, uh, do what God's calling you to do. Mm-hmm. Can, take some time and pray about it and, you know, consult with people that, that you respect and do all of the things that you would for any other kind of ministry. Just because streaming is relatively easy yeah. doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah. I think that a rule, a general rule of thumb for a lot of things that I do or don't do is can I do them excellently or am I working like actively being able to work towards excellence? Like, do you have the resources that you need to be excellent at this at some point and not just good enough? Because there's a lot of churches out there who are doing streaming good enough that if someone is sick who normally goes on the weekends, they can tune in, they can feel like they didn't miss church Mm -hmm. and they can feel good about themselves. But then what are they actually doing with that? Like, are you reaching, are you excellently reaching the lost because of what you put on your stream? And I think that needs to be, that needs to be really a litmus test for a lot of things, but especially in this context of if you cannot do it excellently or you are not working towards that, or you don't have the resource to do resources to do that, then don't do it. Don't set up three iPhones and switch it from the pulpit while you're preaching. Like don't do stuff like that because it's not excellent. And so you're not 
you're not adding anything. You're not yeah. adding value. You're taking things away and you want to add value to, to what you're doing on a weekend, you know, or what you're doing on a Sunday. So, mm-hmm. well, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of churches would be better served if they stopped worrying about live streaming and said, Hey, we're going to record the sermon audio. Yeah. It's going to be available. That way you don't have to worry about your, your music mix for the web. You don't have to worry about all yeah. you have to do is say, Hey, we're going to capture the sermon audio and this is going to be available. Yeah. Cause probably I know for us, most of our people, most of the views we get aren't even live. Most of them are going to be after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. And so we focus so much on the live in that moment that we, we forget, okay, most of these people are going to con- consume this later anyway. So yeah. Yeah. We do the same thing with our young adults ministry United mm-hmm. is like we stream it knowing that, 12 people are going to watch it on a given Tuesday, but by the next Tuesday, there's going to be nearly a hundred views on it. Yeah. Like, and that we, we basically record it live. That's all yeah. we're really doing. But um, yeah, I think like another thing that it, it hurts is your, um, is your volunteers too, is if you're putting pressure on your volunteers to put out this product, but you haven't, sorry, quote unquote product (laughs) live stream. Um, if you're, if you're putting pressure on them to put out a live stream, but you have not resourced them properly, or they do not have the proper training, or you haven't expressed the vision of why you're doing it, then it's putting stress on volunteers. Mm -hmm. Um, I know people that are very close to me who, uh, serve in a couple of different particular churches who are stressed to the max (laughs) on a weekend (laughs) because they're trying to figure out, uh, how do I get this to work? And it's literally like 30 minutes before a yeah. service. Like I've been in a service where that was happening somewhere else that I was visiting. And I was like, I'm sorry, dude, I can't help you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but you're putting pressure on people that now they're not even getting to enjoy or, or put all of their effort into making the actual in-room service really, really good. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. stop focusing on the one or two yeah. and let's focus on the people who are actually in the room um, f- to some degree. Yeah. I think that there has been, because of the democratization of information and the ease with which it is to create content like this, um, I think that uh, churches have thought that, well, someone can make a, a live stream on their iPhone. All they need is Facebook. It's super easy to do, mm-hmm. but they haven't thought through it to the point where they think, okay, it, it is easy to create a live stream. It is, it is easy to create a podcast. Mm-hmm. It is not easy to create the correct live stream for a church. Yep. It is not easy to do that <clears throat> properly. That's still like Fox news, television studio stuff. Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that, that hasn't made its way down to the podcasting world and the ease yep. with which it is to put out just audio or whatever it is. Like that's, that's hard stuff still. You're, you're talking about broadcast switchers. You're talking about cameras. You're talking about cabling your whole building. If you haven't done that yet, like lots of things that if you don't think those through, like you said, Mel, you're just going to be advertising, uh, insufficiency, let's say. Or, that was much nicer than the way I said it. By the way. <laughs> well, yeah. here's, here's, here's my hot take on this too. Um, do we have a tendency to use the fact that we're live streaming as an excuse for not reaching the neighbor across the street mm-hmm. who doesn't mm-hmm. know Jesus? Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that can be the case. And I know that it's not an either or, right? You, mm-hmm. We should be, it, it can be both and, but I think that, that we can deceive ourselves in that way by going, Hey, look, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this live stream mm-hmm. all the while. Like, there's somebody that lives across the street from your church who doesn't know Jesus and you don't even know their name. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a bitter pill here. Um, maybe, maybe there's not, uh, it's, that'll, that'll be up for debate still. Let's say, uh, you, you get, you nail your live stream. Like you're doing a really good job of it. Everything looks great. It is the way a church live stream should be. Are you creating plausible deniability for your members to not attend? Well, again, it's a tool. I mean, so, it's up to them to determine how they're going to use a tool. And it's up to us as leaders to hold people accountable, uh, you know, and it's, uh, I mean, accountability, not in the strictest kind of, you're not coming to church kind of way, right. but it's my responsibility to pursue the sheep that have left the fold. Right. And so if uh, somebody is using that as an excuse not to come to church, then it's my responsibility to go and find the one. Um, and, and at some point, if we're pursuing and pursuing and they're not coming back, then yeah, we go, okay, well, they're, they're not really part of who we are, you know? Um, so no, I don't think, I don't, I've heard this argument. I've heard people say when, when we first started streaming in 20, 
14 right after I came. I had people say, well, don't you think this is going to encourage people not to come to church? I said, no, because I want us to create such a good environment that this is just a cheap facsimile of what they'll experience in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, that their experience here is so good that people are going to be like, well, I can't be there. So I guess this will have to do. Right. Um, And so for those people, the the, the live stream is just a supplement. It is not a, it is not a meal if you can want to say it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the people that just want an excuse, you didn't have them in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, So let's say, Let's say you. Let's say a church is um, convinced that they want to do a live stream. Let's say they're a smaller church, for instance, but they want to do a live stream, and they they know all the steps that they're going to need to uh, do it properly. At what point would you say it becomes viable or worth it uh, to do it properly? Like the the resources that it takes, the volunteers, the the time, the effort, the money. Like when would you say that the investment is? Uh, a good investment? Like, is, is there a certain number? Is there a certain thing? Or does it all depend on your vision, like what you're trying to use the tool for? That's what it is. I think you have to start with the vision first of why are you doing that? Like as you're leading up to your question, the only thing I was thinking of, why? Why do you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Why does a small church want to do that? Why do you want to get the resources together? Who are you actually trying to reach? What What is your goal? What do you think you're going to do with this particular live stream. Uh-huh. And I think you have to start there because then you, like you'll never know what's <laughs> what's viable at that point if you don't if you don't have a vision you're not going to know where you're going, right? So you've got to have that first. Well, and you said for small churches, but even for big churches because yeah. we we've had this discussion internally. There are churches that are much bigger than ours that don't live stream. Yeah. Um, they don't live stream their services. If you want to see their Sunday morning service, you're going to have to watch it on Sunday night or Monday morning or you know whenever they release it because Part of their vision is not to engage people live in the moment. Part of the vision is to get people in the room. It's, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. so that dictates how they how they do that. And so I think that's the same no matter how big the church is. You gotta have have a clear understanding of why you're doing it. That's a good point. So let's presuppose, for instance, that uh, the longer a person is away from church, a church that streams, let's say they start to forget what it was like in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is possible just because I spent so much time in the production room. Uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I had to be in the auditorium because I had to be because I had an extra role. Man, that was different. Mm-hmm. It was so different. Like, And I started to forget how different it was being in the auditorium during the service as mm-hmm. opposed to watching online. So if you have something like, let's say COVID, for instance, forces people out of the building mm-hmm. and then they start to forget what it was like to be in the building, a church that wants to stream, what is a good way f- for them to remind their people of what they're missing? If that makes sense. I mean, I think part of it is the people that they're in relationship with who are, who are part of the body, you know, if they're, if they will reach out to them you know, and just talk to them. Hey, I miss you. You know, even those things speak to, to what we miss when we're not in the room, Mm -hmm. right? No one's going to smile at you online, right? And I mean, your, your husband or wife across the room, maybe, you know, but no one's going to smile at you online. No one's going to hug you online, you know, even, even with prayer. And I love the fact that we offer prayer online and God meets people there, but there's also that whole thing about, man, like, Mm-hmm. I can't hold somebody's hand, so yeah. you know, and and have them pray with me yeah. online. I think those are the things that we remind, remind people of that human connection that that happens in the gathered community, um, and I think I think those are the things that we have to talk about. Those are the things that we have to remind people of. Uh, they're they're feeling that void already mm-hmm. uh, if they are isolated, and so like we acknowledge that felt need. I think. So this is an idea that uh, was presented towards the end of the of episode nine of the rise and fall of Mars Hill, and I think that this idea, let's just say you have a church that uh, has a live stream that's starting to grow and is starting to maybe get bigger than the in-house attendance. What happens if you end up creating a some kind of degree of separation between? how the people in-house view their pastor versus how the people online view their pastor. Because I think this is one of the things that Mark Driscoll and Kendall, you can probably correct me on this if I'm wrong. Mark Driscoll would claim that his audience online had a perception of him that was not the same as his audience in-house. And some of the things that he said came off wrong online 
as opposed to in-house. And I don't know if that was like blame deflecting or if it was, oh, well, it's not my fault for what I said. It's your fault for the way you perceived me. Um, but it does seem reasonable to suggest mm -hmm. that as your audience online grows and maybe it's an audience that really never gets to meet you just because of distance, just because of sheer distance. Mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing to have a massive online audience. There are many very successful, very uh, life-giving churches that do. But what do you do if there, how do you prevent that separation of perception between your online audience and your in-house audience? And if you start to see it happening, how do you rein you it back in? You can't. Because your online audience is only ever going to really engage with you when you're preaching mm -hmm. or when you're leading worship or yeah. they don't know you, right? So, uh, so you can't. What you have to do is make sure that you're living with integrity so that there wouldn't be a, a reason, you know, for there to be a news report that comes out that all of a sudden shocks these people who've been watching online because like, you know, or yeah, the people in the room get to engage with you as a, a human being. Yeah. Like they can talk to you before and after the service. If they live in your community, they're going to see you at the grocery store or at the, at the football game or whatever the case may be. They, they can know you in a different way than people online can. I don't think you can ever, fully rectify that yeah and i think this is where it's important um you know like i'm thinking about our context with a multi-site you know we've got another location now that i'm not at a whole lot and we do video teaching and the people that are new there some of them have met me briefly because i've been down there for a service or something like that but um, that's where, like, for us, it's important for me to work through Colin. I empower Colin to pastor the people in that location. Yeah. That They don't look at me and go, he's my pastor. I'm the one who's delivering the, the word to them, but Colin's their pastor. Um, and, and like you said, Todd, I think it's so important to understand that for, for ministers that um, – that man, we really do shepherd people in the lobbies, in the before and after service moments, and those quick conversations. <clears throat> those are valuable. And so, if we're hiding in the green room, or if we're, you know, uh, back in our office finishing the message up right before the sermon starts, then we're really not pastoring our people the way we should. Um, but I don't know that there is a way to keep there from being a, a distance to some degree. And yeah. and I hate it. I hate it to say it like this, but. Uh, the people that don't know you, because I've met people who have watched our service online for a year because their child went to church here and then they showed up and met me and like they were starry eyed. And it was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like, oh my gosh, we watch you all the time. It's so good to meet you. And it's like, listen, man, I am a normal dude. And if I let that stuff get in my heart, yeah. I'm in deep trouble. Um, I actually think there is a way. Me Lay too. it on us. That's okay. why we brought you so, in this week. <laughs> um, I think there is a way, but I also think that it toes the line of the original problem that we talked about earlier about setting the whole organization on you. Um, I think with the uh, day and age of social media, mm -hmm. I think if, and this is, this is like capital letters, underline, bold, italicized, if. <laughs> this is if you can be highly authentic on social media. And I mean like super authentic, mm -hmm. like not pre-produced stuff. Like I'm thinking of some mm -hmm. celebrity pastors that I know have very pre-produced stuff, even on their personal IG, their personal Instagram, yeah. but some celebrity pastors do not. And they are very authentic within, um, within their social media stuff. They don't post every day just to make sure they get a post out. Mm -hmm. They are very authentic in the way that they talk. They talk the same way in social media as they do on the platform, as they do in person. Um, the people that I, at least the, the people that I'm thinking about that I've had the privilege to meet yeah. were the same on all three platforms. And so I think if you can have the accountability mm -hmm. to be able to, be authentic online um, on your personal accounts, then I think that you can help mitigate that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can mitigate that issue. Right. Um, and I think that's the same way that you, you brought it up. Mel is that you said we've got to pastor people in the lobby as well. So mm -hmm. like forget online stuff, 
that problem, that perception problem can happen with someone who's on stage absolutely, and someone who's in the room. There can be a wall there. And what you do to mitigate that is you are authentic in your interactions. Yeah. So you have to be authentic in your interactions online as well through social media. And so if you can do that without all the glitz and glamour and production value and just be super authentic, I think that you can, that you can uh, get rid of those perception uh, issues a little bit. I think... I think mitigate is the right word. I don't think you can eliminate it. And, mm-hmm. and what I would push back on a little bit on that is just the fact that like, even if we're not pre-producing stuff and even if what we're posting on our social media is a real reflection of who we are, I'm still, I'm not going to go post like my frustrations, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go, you know, <laughs> go flame out online, you know? Uh, and so, uh, but the reality is, I have moments in my real life where I flame out. I have mm-hmm. moments in my real life where there are frustrations mm-hmm. and where I blow it. And uh, and I'm not going to go and post that online. And so I think oftentimes people who see us online, even if our our stuff is really authentic and true to who we are, they still only see the kind of the positive stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And so they're going to have this perception of us that we are you know, better than we really are. Yeah. What if you did share so, some of your annoyances and some of your shortcomings or some of your frustrations online in a, in a way that might be, it's filtered, but slightly filtered. Like, I mean, cause you'd have that same problem in the lobby too, mm-hmm. right? Like you're yeah. not going to go cry on somebody's shoulder in the lobby just randomly. <laughs> sure. You know? So sure. <laughs> I, I guess the, the, and maybe it's, maybe it's with the people in our congregations as well. Uh, the, the thing that I keep coming back to, the thing that I keep thinking about is just that, um, especially in the online arena, we're either getting praised or we're getting lambasted. Mm-hmm. And uh, That's correct. And I, <laughs> if we start to believe either one of those, yeah. we really are starting to get off the rails. And so like if there's a whole lot of smoke on what we're doing, mm-hmm. then we, we can't start believing that, that you know, to be crass, our poop don't stink, right? Yeah. We we have to understand that this is not reality. By the same token, if everybody is blasting you online this week because they disagreed with something you said, well, that doesn't mean you're terrible, right? Yeah. And so um, for us as leaders, it's important for us to remember that in terms of who we are. And then really it's important for us to make sure that other people understand that as well. Like, Hey, this is just, just a partial picture. This is not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, might I present an alternative and then I'll seek your closing thoughts. <laughs> so the alternative uh, is I don't believe that all media or all forms of media are created equal in conveying the humanity and the personality of a speaker. Um, I think there is one that does it really well. And I think that we're doing it right now. I think that long form podcasts, uh, because, okay, so we're all sitting here. We all know each other. Our interaction with each other is more authentic because we know each other. I mean, we're obviously not going, we're not, you know, we're not, airing out our dirty laundry in front of each other. We wouldn't do that anyway. Like, like Kendall, like you said, we're not doing that in the lobby. We're not doing that, you know, in the auditorium. Um, but in the context of like a long form podcast. So I I want you to think of any podcasters that you really like to listen to that you haven't met yet in person and maybe online. If you're listening to this, which you would be if you're online listening to this. <laughs> uh, we don't have anybody in the room with us. No, no. Think of, a, think of a podcaster that you've listened to a lot, but you haven't met in person and ask yourself, do you feel like you know that person? If you met that person outside of Walmart, would you feel like you know them? And for me, the answer is yes. I feel like if I met Joe Rogan, I would I'd feel like I know Joe Rogan. I'd probably be awestruck by him, but not awestruck in the same way I would be if I met Tom Brady because I only ever see Tom Brady winning football games. Did you catch that? Uh, <laughs> Crickets. We'll, we'll edit that in post. <laughs> yeah. okay. uh, well, we were talking about poop on the podcast, so I just thought, you know. Okay, so let me, let me interject here. Um, here's the thing. Um, if, if, you, if you talk to actors who have been on television, people will run up to them all the time and go, oh my gosh, Ross. 
talking to David Schwimmer. And it, it's not Ross. Yeah. He's playing a part. Right. But they think they know Ross. Mm. Right. And so that's part of the problem. I think it goes back to what Kendall was talking about with authenticity. I think the more authentic we can be, uh, the more they actually do get to know us a little bit. But the problem is a lot of us are playing a part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. And so people do think they know you, but they don't. And this is like in my last church, I had people that would walk up to my kids in public that they had never met before, but they felt like they knew my girls because I've talked about them mm-hmm. from stage. And it was, they were not threatening, but my girls felt threatened. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so again, there's this line between knowing people and believing you know them. Right. That is, those are two different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lie translates equally well in person or online. Yeah. So like, if if there's deception in your personality, if you're you know if you're not being authentic, it doesn't matter what medium you choose. Yeah, it's still going to be. I'll give you an example. This is for me. Like, uh, I'm super comfortable on a stage. I am not nearly as comfortable in the lobby. That's one of the areas in my leadership that I have to really work at because one on one with people or in a, is way more intimidating <laughs> than being on a stage in front of you know a thousand people. Yeah, uh, and uh, I I had someone one day in the lobby, and I was standing next to someone who knows me well. Uh, had someone one day say say, "Man, you know, you're like a completely different person when you preach because." Their interaction with me in the lobby wasn't like that, right? Mm-hmm. And thankfully, the person who was standing with me said, oh, no, you just don't hang out with him enough. You know, and so, like, it's possible to, for people to have a misperception even yeah. when you're being super authentic on the platform yeah. mm-hmm. be, because of just the way that we may interact differently uh, off the stage. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it just has to do with the fact that I'm really probably a lot more shy than people would assume when I am preaching, mm, you know? Yeah. And so um, I don't know how we necessarily overcome all of those things, but we have to recognize them for what they are, I think, so that we can do our very best to mitigate that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, people are going to perceive the way that people perceive. And sometimes if a person's uh, perception apparatus is flawed, uh, you know, you can't go changing yourself every time somebody thinks that you're arrogant or that you're not, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to be careful about that too. Hey everyone, don't forget to rate and review this podcast uh, wherever you listen to it. Also subscribe at summitpodcast.church forward slash subscribe. That is your one-stop shop, one-stop shop. There you go. <laughs> we'll fix that in post. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we can fix that. Thank you for listening to the back 40 leadership podcast and we will see you in the next episode.